for offering my wine tonight. So, is everybody enjoying the rain? Yeah? At my house, it was 1.4 inches that we got last night. I was very excited about that. So, I don't know what you got, but um, it rained at my place. Um, have you ever um, done something that you didn't want to repeat? You've done something you didn't want to repeat? Yeah, I've done that. Um, the government knows I've done it a couple of times in the past. Yeah, government knows. Uh, you you uh, get a ticket, and then you pay that ticket off, get a lawyer, the points are gone, and then you get another ticket, get a lawyer, the points are gone, and then you get another ticket, and eventually your lawyer tells you that you're just going to have to take the points somewhere down the road, and you, you know, you keep doing this thing. Um, there's other, there's other, that's a long time ago, by the way. That's 14, 14, 16. I was thinking about um, starting a Drivers Anonymous, you know, and saying, my name is Philip Brand. I've been clean for 14 years. Awesome. Yeah. Only place I really have trouble is Farmington Road, but that's another story. It's like a, anyway, if you're a cop, you can sit on Farmington Road, and you wouldn't just get me. But nonetheless, there's stuff that we do over and over again that we, we don't necessarily want to do again, and so we really try not to. Um, the children of Israel had a history, um, had a history of doing something over and over again. They would, they would be with God, and then they would go away from God. They would be with God, and they would go away from God. So they would have their temple worship, and then they would kind of start doing some other things and go away from God for a while and then come back. The problem with this is God kept judging them even more harshly as time went along to where you had a Babylonian captivity, which was the final one, and then they, they came back to, to Israel, and then Rome took over. So that's kind of a broad brush of history. But nonetheless, it's all because they were not staying faithful to God and faithful to his temple. So when you get to the New Testament, you have a group of religious leaders, scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees, that are very serious about keeping the traditions. Part of the reason, and probably a big majority of the reason, if we were to give it a percentage, is because they did not want to sin against God again by leaving the traditions behind and not doing their temple duties. And they were very, very dedicated to it. And they were so dedicated to it, they were not open to anything new, anything new at all. So, so they, they were really solid. They did not want to go back. So with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Good to hear those pages. Mark chapter 2. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. That's Jesus. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. 
And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic. Now, let me just pause here a moment. I really don't know if I'm saying that word correctly. I have an accent from Colfax, North Carolina. So if paralytic is not paralytic, it's not paralytic. It's just going to be paralytic for the next, like, 40 minutes. Is that cool? Okay, great. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is... He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he arose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So this is a story about a couple of things, and one thing that it's a story about is a paralytic, a guy that cannot walk at all. He was a paralytic. That was his identity. He was a paralytic in the city. It seems that everybody in the city knew that he was a paralytic, knew that he could not walk, knew probably where he was every day. It seems that everybody knew this and everybody knew his identity. They referred to him as the paralytic. He didn't have a name. If you talked about him at the dinner table, you know, the paralytic by the, by the city gate, the paralytic by um, Walmart, the paralytic by... You know, it was always the paralytic. He was known as the paralytic. That was his identity. He could not go places on his own, right? He was vulnerable to the stronger, more healthy people that would walk by him. This was a guy that was known, his identity was a paralytic. But even though he was a paralytic, and that was the identity that people put on him, he did not allow himself he did not allow that title to define how he lived. He didn't. In fact, he was a paralytic, but he was still living beyond what a paralytic should live. In this story, he has four amazing friends. Amazing friends. And if he had... a had attached himself to that identity and lived by that identity, he would have been so depressed, so discouraged, so down in the dumps that he couldn't make friends. But for some reason, this guy had a great personality and he was excited about life and he had four very, very good friends. I don't know about you, but in life, you're lucky if you have one very good friend, much less, right? much less, friend, much less four, right? So this guy... He did not allow it to define the way he lived. In fact, the whole city seemed to like this man. They did. You're looking at me like, how in the world did he know that? Well, um, I'll tell you in a few moments, okay? Is that cool? I'll tell you in a few moments. But the whole city seemed to like that. We live in a culture, ladies and gentlemen, that wants to give us a label. A label. 
we have um, manic depressant. We have, well, maybe that isn't one, but I've heard of it before. Um, ADHD. Um, there's different types of label that pe people give other people. Um, sometimes you're diagnosed with it. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes people just say that you have it. And you're constantly given these labels, these identities, these things that people are telling you who you are and why you are this way. And this is what you're going to have to cope with. And this is the road that you're going down. We're constantly getting these labels over and over and over again in our life. It's identities. It's either through a product, uh, I can't even say that word. And I'm almost saying a word I don't want to say. But anyway, a doctor gives you whatever that is that begins with a P, prognosis. It is this spot on Sunday every week. Every week. Every week. And those things that people label, label us with become our identity. Now, I'm about to tell you a story that I have permission to tell. So I don't want you to get uncomfortable because it has to do with my wife, and she's perfectly cool with this story. I ask permission if I ever use her in a sermon because I have to go home, <laughs> okay? So I just want to let you know, anytime that happens, anytime it's my kids, I've already asked them, I live with these people, okay? Back about 15, 16 years ago, honestly, it's just a blur, my wife gave me for Christmas a TomTom. Now, some of you might not even know what a TomTom -tom is. A TomTom -tom is a GPS device that allows you to get places. I, being directionally challenged, really needed one. I really needed one. And so she gave me this thing, and it absolutely changed my life. There were places that, were, that was taking me 35 minutes to get to that really was a five-minute trip. No lie. I, I did these, I did these uh, funerals, you know, you do funerals, and there was this cemetery in Winston-Salem that I would go, and I've, I'd been there dozens of times. And so what I would do to get back is I would follow the same route that we took getting there from the funeral home, and then I could get back to Center Grove, to the church. Well, lo and behold, she gave me this GPS, and I said, I wonder, I wonder if there's a different way to go. So I punched in, you know, Center Grove Baptist Church, and I was back in five minutes, it looked, it seems that the funeral, the, the little cemetery I was at was in actually Clemens, North Carolina. And I didn't have to go all the way back to Winston and then come back, you know, the other way. It, it was crazy, just absolute revolution in my life. Well, what happened was I became like the GPS guru. Everywhere I went, I used the GPS just to see if there was a quicker way or something like that. Well, my wife then got jealous of the GPS system. Because I don't know if you know this or not, I married a little helper in the car. <laughs> and the helper in the car tells you how fast you're going and when you should brake and, and when you should turn and left and right and all that kind of stuff. So the helper in the car was jealous of my new helper in the car. Right? So she was. And she would talk about that. This is not the way to go. There's a quicker way. This is not the way to go. It's a quicker way. This was on, an ongoing thing between her. Now, she wasn't upset or anything, maybe, I don't know, I never really know, but nonetheless, she was, she was saying that back and forth, right? So, we were supposed to go meet her family at Grandfather Mountain, right? Grandfather Mountain, and I live in Louisville, it's just 13 miles from the church, 
And you know, 421 takes you right there and you're, you're good to go. Well, that morning on my GPS, I put in Grandfather Mountain and it told me to go 40. And instantly I thought, this is going to be an amazing moment. We've been going 421 for years and we're going to go 40 and be there a lot quicker, right? We get into the car, I turn, I do not go toward 421 and she says, what are you doing? You need to get on 421. And I said, oh, the GPS is taking us 40, Interstate 40. And she said, we are not going the right way. I said, just trust the GPS, okay? Just trust it. We get on 40, we're going down the road, and she's telling me, this is not the way to go. We are not anywhere close to to Grandfather Mountain. I said, you just wait. It will be amazing. It will tell us to turn somewhere, and boom, we're there. Because that had been my experience up until this point, right? You turn a corner, and boom, wow, we're here. I don't even know how we got here. This is absolutely amazing thing. And so we kept going, and I kept telling her, look, you're going to be absolutely amazed. Well, it finally got us to get off the interstate, right? And it said that Grandfather Mountain was in three miles. And we got on the Blue Ridge Parkway, right? And it was just three miles away. And Nicole is sitting there telling me, we are nowhere close we are probably 45 minutes away from Grandfather Mountain. I said, no, 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 really, three miles, you'll see. Just, just watch, watch the GPS, just, just watch it. So she's not watching it, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm just driving, and we get to the three-mile part, and there's no Grandfather Mountain. Because I've been to Grandfather Mountain before, and whether, where I am very directionally challenged, I do actually understand pictures, and I recognize that Grandfather Mountain was nowhere to be found. There was just trees and a ledge that my wife at that point wanted to throw me off of. So she tells me that we are nowhere close, but we are going to follow the the Blue Ridge Parkway. We followed the Blue Ridge Parkway. It was probably 30 minutes later. We rounded a corner, and there was Grandfather Mountain. And I said, look, there's Grandfather Mountain. And she said, I didn't want to see the backside of Grandfather Mountain. I wanted to see the entrance (laughs) to Grandfather Mountain. So anyway, we made it. And we're still married this many years later, and I no longer have a tom-tom. I have what I call wazi, but you probably call ways, so, which is what I use. But I was stuck to that path that that GPS had me on, and it didn't matter what she was telling me. I was going to go according to the GPS because I had become a GPS guru. Let me tell you about something that labels put on you. Your label that they have placed on you in this life, and I know we probably all have them, somebody's told us something, should not be your pathway for life. It shouldn't be your pathway for life. If if you are diagnosed as clinically depressed, that does not have to be your pathway. If you are diagnosed, anything else, ADHD, whatever it might be, that does not have to be what guides the pathway of your life. It does not have to be a determinant for the way that you act, the way that you move, the way that you you function. It does not have to define who you are and what you do. Ladies and gentlemen, it is okay to know why you think the way that you think. It's okay to know that. But when you start using that as a pathway, that is where you cross a line and things start going wrong. 
In fact, your label can become the very thing that you're chained to for the rest of your life. And you don't have to be chained to that label. I know there's some people out there thinking, you, don't, you have no idea. You have no idea. I, I am mentally, I'm this way, I've been diagnosed this way, and I just can't help myself but go down this road. I will tell you this, you can help yourself and not go down that road. Your label is not an excuse to sin. It is not an excuse to go down a path that you shouldn't go down of. You have the ability as God's creation to control that and do what you need to do in order to control that particular thing that you're struggling with and get not only out of it, but way beyond it. Do not allow that label to pave a path for the rest of your life that continually goes downhill. Do something else. Use the label as a benchmark to go somewhere else besides where it's telling you that it should go. Is everybody good? Y'all really quiet. Really quiet. Look, look, this, okay, I'll I'll move on because I'm going to come back to it. Here we go. All right, check this out. This man was well-liked. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. It says this, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. These four men were his friends. They were four men who were willing to do anything to get this guy to Jesus. Check this out, number 4, verse 4. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So here are four of his friends that pick him up. They couldn't get into the house. And they went on top of the roof to take apart the roof in order to lower him down. Now, I want you to get a visual of this particular situation. I don't know if you know this or not, but the roof was not made of branches. It wasn't made of branches. This was not an easy task. This roof was made of clay, probably clay tiles that were stuck together with some sort of sticky stuff that they used back then. I don't know what they used, but they definitely used something so that rain would not trickle down into it. Is everybody tracking? So they not only had to take him up to the roof, but they had to figure out with tools, how to bring that roof up, the tiles up, place them to the side, and then lower him down. It took work for them to do this. Not only that, but it says in the text that there was a lot of people in the house, right? So all of a sudden, Jesus is teaching, and someone begins to remove a clay roof from above him. What do you think is falling down on the people's heads? Yeah, little pieces of clay. And so the room does this, right? Oh, sorry about that, Jonathan. Hope you didn't need that. 
So, so you, you back up and all the room, the room is backed up, making room for the guy to be let down, but really kind of protecting themselves. So not only, not only are the people pushed up against the wall, but also Jesus is pushed up against the wall too as stuff is falling on the floor as they are removing this clay roof. It took a lot of time for them to do this. This also means that his friends were committed that after it was over, they would fix the roof. They would fix this person's roof. That is an amazing task. It is an amazing show of faith. These were amazing friends, amazing friends. So verse five says this, and when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? the people that lowered the man down in front of him. He said to the paralytic, son, get up and walk. He didn't. Isn't that what you expect in the story? Isn't that what you expect? You expect Jesus to see their faith and then say, get up and walk. And that's the end of the story. That's not what he said. He looked at their faith And he looked at the man and said, your sins are forgiven. I have no idea how this works. But what I do know is that Jesus can forgive whoever he wants to forgive. Okay? He can do that. So theologically, we could be here all day long talking about the implications of this and why do these four men's faiths, um, why is that good enough for forgiveness to be for this guy? And we could have a whole like theological conversation about that and never really get anywhere. What I do know is that Jesus can do whatever he wants to, and he saw their faith, and he looked at this man and said, your sins are forgiven, okay? But, but why don't you heal the guy? He needs to walk um, because there's something more important that this man needs, He needs his sins to be forgiven. You see, if if that was all that Jesus did that day and they pulled him back up into the ceiling, right, and they carried him home and he was still a paralytic when when they took him home, um, his, his paralyzing part of his legs, right, was only a temporary this world type of thing. But the forgiveness that Jesus just gave him was not only for that moment, but for eternity. Right? Church, I want to submit to you this morning that there's something more important than us getting our ailments corrected. There's something more important than than me having perfect health or perfect eyesight or not having this disease or that disease. There's something more important What is more important is not whether or not I'm healed or not, not whether or not I'm better or not. What's more important is if I'm forgiven or not. If I'm forgiven, it lasts longer. It lasts longer. And if I'm forgiven when I die, I'm healed. Death is just the doorway to the ultimate healing for me. All the stuff that's wrong with me right now that's not mental Right? All the stuff that's wrong with me right now, when I hit death's door, will be gone. 
Every sin that I struggle with, every thought that I have that I shouldn't have, every disease that my body will ever have in this life will be gone at the point of death. It is just a doorway. Forgiveness is now and for eternity. There is something bigger going on. This also shows you that Jesus was here not to heal people. He was here to redeem people. He was here to offer forgiveness to everybody. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was his main mission. That was his main goal. It wasn't teaching. It wasn't healing. It wasn't being special. It wasn't all that. It was to offer forgiveness to all of mankind because that is what mankind needs. And so he looks at this paralytic and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And immediately he is no longer, well, he's labeled a paralytic, but he's also labeled as I am forgiven. That is his new label. I am forgiven. That's his new label. I am forgiven. Turn to your neighbor right now, and if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, turn to them and say, I'm forgiven. That is your label. It is a label that Jesus Christ shed his blood on Calvary's cross to give to you. I am forgiven. That is your label. That is what you live by. See, the world gives you all types of labels that lead to death. Honestly, if you follow the path, they leave you to further bondage because for some reason you just can't get victory over them. But Jesus Christ always offers you labels that gives you freedom. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. It does not matter how many tickets I've had. I'm forgiven. It doesn't matter what I have done in my past. I'm forgiven. It doesn't really matter what I'm gonna do in the future, though I should really follow Christ and I shouldn't use it as a license to sin. I am forgiven. I'm forgiven. So when you're at home or when you're sitting down and you're feeling really down in the dumps or something, you need to remember that God has given you a label, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. He forgave this guy's sins before he healed him. Do not be so quick to tie yourself down with the labels that this world is gonna attach to you but be very quick to grab a hold of the ones that Jesus has given to you and use them as your path. I am forgiven. When we leave, when we leave, when we live this way, in the sense of I am forgiven, drama goes out the window and destiny becomes what you live for. How many times have we been in a situation where it's woe is me, this is happening, and it becomes our identity, and it becomes our path, and we just can't get out of it, and there's just drama, 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 and we aren't going anywhere. It's like we're spinning our tires, right? That is when we accept whatever's happening is just gonna be part of, our, part of us for the rest of our life, and, and you know, emotion gets involved, and that's when drama starts welling up inside of us, and we actually blow it up bigger than it really should have been in the first place, Right? But when we live according to how God has labeled us, I am forgiven, that's a destiny thing. 
Let me give you another one. I'm a child of God. That's a destiny thing. It's a destiny thing. I am going somewhere better. I am not going to be stuck where I am. Jesus Christ did not die for my sins so I would be stuck the rest of my life in chains. He gave me freedom so that I could live and progress toward a place where I'll be ultimately free of all the chains and all the bonds of this life and all the hurts. Are you tracking? I am forgiven. It should color everything that we look at, every situation, every person. I am forgiven. So check this out. Chapter two, verse six says this. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Let me give you a little insight here. These guys are not trying to be controversial at this point. They are asking the questions in their hearts. This means that they're not even talking to each other. They're not even really, maybe they're looking at each other, I don't know. They could be looking at each other with the, you know, how we do. I don't know. But they are not there to kind of probe and prod Jesus at this point in time. They are really asking these questions. How can he do this? Is this not blaspheming, right? So Jesus, knowing this, knowing their hearts, and knowing that they are not going to move unless he proves to them that it is a definite move from God, does this. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know, are you tracking? That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Let me give you a sign to let you know you can move beyond the temple now. There's something better here. Is everybody tracking? Let me give you a sign. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And let me tell you something. The scribes in this room knew the prophecies of Scripture about the Messiah making the lame to walk. They knew it, and they saw it. And here is their reaction. And he arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed. You tracking? All of them, scribes, friends, crowd, all amazed. And they glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. We never saw anything like this. They were amazed, amazed. Amazed beings uh, beside myself in wonder of, of what has just occurred. They were all amazed. Um, I went, as you know, to Piedmont Bible College, um, when it was a Bible college back, back in the day, and uh, they had some very strict rules. For instance, you could not listen, and you might not know this guy, to Steve Green, anything with a beat, like if it had a beat to it. You, couldn't li- you could listen to classical music or, or stuff out of the hymn book, Not that there was anything wrong with that. Not that there was anything wrong with that. But you couldn't listen to like contemporary Christian music. Is everybody tracking? So um, in October, 
I, my fr- freshman year, I got this um, CD called Chiller that is a, really a Halloween CD, but it's all classical music. And they let me play that the whole month of October, and I thought it was funny. Oh, come on. That is really funny, isn't it? Right? You can play this classical music that has to do with, like, psycho, but you can't. Okay. Just making a point. Just making a point. Okay, so, but during that time period, there were other people like Stephen Kirsch Chapman, if you know him, and a group called DC Talk. And I liked DC Talk a lot. I liked Stephen Kirsch Chapman, but I really liked DC Talk. And so DC Talk came out with this new album. And so I would sneak to my car and play it in my car because you couldn't play it on campus, right? And I would sneak out and I would do it just because I just wanted to hear the songs and I loved the songs. And, and like when I left campus, I would, I would put the tape in and then I would hide it when I get back to campus because I didn't, you know, I didn't know if they were bugging our cars, looking at our cars. I didn't know what they were doing. I knew people were getting points for listening to DC Talk. I, I just didn't know exactly what was going on. But I was sneaking out, like doing this DC Talk stuff. And I felt really guilty about it, right? I was sneaking doing it, but at the same time, I just loved the music, like tracking. But, but the people that were in power at the time, which I respect because I kept their rules except for when I was in my car and when I was out of their sight. Um, <laughs> so so I, I really snuck and I, and I listened to this stuff. They were afraid, they were afraid that this new music was of the devil. That's what they were afraid of. In fact, we had classes, I had a class one time, and I, I just, I was just me. And I had a class one time where this professor told us that um, if you had the beat on two and four, you would summon demons from Africa. My first thought was, man, they have good hearing. <laughs> it's just absolutely amazing. So then, then I kind of I started working that through in my mind, visualizing them just flying across the Atlantic Ocean to my room where I was playing the Chiller album, you know, where they felt at home probably. But then I raised my hand and I said, so if the beat is on one and three, is that okay? They said, yes, one and three is okay. It's two and four. That's summons, but not one and three. Now, one and three, you know, one, okay, let me get one, two, three, four, one, two, right? So if it's on the even numbers, demons, if it was the odd numbers, not. So my next question was just to ask, why is it the odd numbers? Wouldn't that make more sense than even? And that's when the class ended. The point I'm trying to make to all this is that we are under a rule structure that wouldn't allow you to actually experience some other stuff that God was doing in the culture. We were under that rule structure. The reason that we were under it is because we were so scared that we would go liberal. They were so scared that we would go outside of the Bible. They were so scared that we would leave the traditions that had been solid for many years. Is everybody tracking? They, that they just wanted to protect what they had. They were really just trying to protect It is the same thing that the scribes were doing. So how do you know if it's okay to step out of the tradition 
of this and grab a hold of something new. The one question you ask is, is this of God? Does this magnify Jesus? Is this something that proclaims his name to other people? Is this a gospel-centered movement that is actually giving people the gospel just in a different light, but they're giving people the gospel? Can music be culturally relevant? Are you tracking with me? With a, with a gospel praiseworthy lyric to it, and, and it be okay. Look for signs in the music. Is it really pointing people to Christ? And if it is, you go for that. This is the same, the same thing of we had to use one particular type of Bible. We, we could not go outside of the Bible but, this, but the same school, and I'm not, I'm not dogging. I love Piedmont, and if I had to do it all over, I would do it again. I learned a ton of theology and a lot of stuff there. It changed my life. I love it. But, but, the, but we were so concerned that we would go to a translation that wasn't a good translation of the Bible that we had to just stick with the one that was old and true. But at the same time, we were learning Greek and Hebrew, and sometimes that translation didn't match up with the Greek and Hebrew in our day. And then you started looking at some other translations and realizing that God, God is in these two. Are, are you tracking? So is, is this translation that I have right here, let's say the New American Standard, is it true to the originals, to the, to the Greek? Is it really true? And is this really of God or is this something that's breaking off from God? I will tell you this, that there are versions of the NIV that aren't. They've switched some gender stuff around, and I could go into all of that for you, but there's a, a certain section of the NIV, a certain style of the NIV that isn't. But then there's the other NIVs that are out that are just perfectly fine, but there is one that isn't, isn't that good. And you have to watch this sort of thing. You have to determine if this is really of Jesus or if this is not of Jesus. And if it's not of Jesus, you don't go with it. But if it is of Jesus, you go with it. If it pronounces and, and keeps track of his name. So here, here's these people that, that were asking these questions. Should I attach myself to Jesus? And Jesus says, yes, I can forgive sins. And here's a sign that what you are seeing is true. And it ties right back into the Bible that you know. Y'all good? So in our church... And we have been willing to do this. In fact, I'm absolutely amazed. I thank the Lord for this all the time. Anything that we do has to be for the purpose of glorifying God and getting the gospel out. And if it is something that doesn't do that, it's something that we as a church shouldn't be a part of, as a church body. Now, you might be able to do it on your own, you know. You might be able to do whatever it might be. But as for the way the church goes, we need to make sure that everything we do matches this word right here in this word alone. That is how we stand. So they were amazed. They were amazed with what Jesus um, had said. I'm amazed. I'm amazed uh, with a couple of things. His focus on redemption, Jesus' focus on redemption, his power to heal, his teaching, and his love for this crowd. So a couple of things at the very end. Micah 7, chapter 7, verse 18 says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? 
You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. I am amazed that God gave me forgiveness. And to be honest, I'm amazed he's given you forgiveness. I'm amazed that he cares for mankind that much to say, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Don't worry about it anymore. You're forgiven, I've got it covered with my blood. That is an amazing, amazing truth. Here's another verse. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I'm amazed this morning because I have been rescued. I have been rescued from darkness. I have been taken from darkness and placed into light and I can live in that light. I'm amazed. I'm amazed that I do not have to hold on to the sins that used to get me all the time. I'm free. Darkness to light. There is redemption and he has given that to us through his son. Here's another verse. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be forgiven. Now I've been talking to believers this morning to be honest with you, people that have uh, asked forgiveness for their sins and asked Jesus to come into their heart to be Savior. The whole sermon has been toward, toward those individuals. But I want to tell you this morning, if you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm amazed that he offers that to you as well. It's not that in my, I'm in a special club. Don't take me that way, okay? This isn't a special club, right, that we're all in. And I can't believe that he's going to let you in. That's not what I'm saying I can't believe that he still offers this to our world that's crazy. And it's everybody. It's the people that we like. It's the people that we don't like. It's the people that we're like, why are you doing that? Right? It's amazing that this verse, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be forgiven in Acts 2 is actually an offer to the entire world. If you haven't become a Christian, it's available to you today to accept the gospel and get your sins forgiven. And I think it would be great if you're one of the people that have never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, that this would be the day that you would walk out those doors with the label, I am forgiven. That'd be absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible. Next, and this is the last one, Ephesians 4, verses 31 through 32 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do you notice what you're supposed to put away? It's bitterness, it's wrath, it's anger, it's clamor, it's slander. It's all those emotions that come up when you're mad at somebody. I know you're perfect, but those emotions come up inside of you, (laughs) right? They come up inside of you when you're mad at somebody. It says, put that aside and be kind to one another, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. This means that when I look at you, I'm reminding myself that I'm forgiven and you're forgiven. 
That's the lens that I look at people with. That's the lens that you should look at people with. If you have a problem with somebody that is pretty serious, put on the lens of forgiveness. I'm forgiven, they're forgiven. If they haven't received the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior, it's I'm forgiven and they're a candidate to be forgiven. Right? They, they, they haven't accepted it yet, but I need to act like I'm forgiven and look at this situation as if I'm forgiven of a debt that I could not pay in order to handle this situation correctly so that they might be able to see the guy that paid my debt. Christians are to live their life as people that are forgiven and look at every single situation in that light. It will change the way you interact with people. I'm forgiven. This person has harmed me, but I'm forgiven. And I shouldn't have been forgiven. I did nothing to earn that forgiveness, but I am forgiven. That is my label. I don't care if people think I'm ADHD. They're wrong. I'm forgiven. That's my label. I'm forgiven. Every, every time you see a news show, look at it through the likes of, you know, I'm forgiven. Those people are crazy, but I'm forgiven. And I could be just that crazy. That could be me. I am forgiven. So instead of what's wrong, I'm forgiven. Instead of hate, I'm forgiven. Instead of bitterness, I'm forgiven. Instead of clamor, I'm forgiven. Instead of slander, I'm forgiven. I'm not gonna slander somebody. I'm forgiven. And really, if they knew my past, I could be the one that could be slandered as well. I am just forgiven. I am forgiven. So here's the lyrics of the song that that beautiful woman at the piano sang a little bit earlier. Those are not the lyrics. She's getting it. Takes a minute to switch over. So listen to them as I speak them. I'm the one who held the nail. It was cold between my fingertips. I've hidden in the garden. I've denied you with my very lips. God, I fall down to my knees with a hammer in my hand. You look at me, arms open. Forgiven, forgiven. Child, there is freedom from all of it. Say goodbye to every sin. You are forgiven. I've done things I wish I hadn't done. Have you been there? I've seen things I wish I hadn't seen. Just the thought of your amazing grace, and I cry, Jesus, forgive me. God, I fall down to my knees with a hammer in my hand. You look at me, arms open, forgiven, forgiven. Child, there's freedom from all of it. Say goodbye to every sin, you are forgiven. I could have been six feet under. I could have been lost forever. Yeah, I should be in that fire. But now there's fire inside of me. 
Here I am, a dead man walking, no grave going to hold God's people, all the weight of all our evil lifted away forever free. Who could believe? Who could believe? Forgiven, forgiven. You love me even when I don't deserve it. Forgiven, I'm forgiven. Jesus, your blood makes me innocent. So I will say goodbye to every sin. I am forgiven. Are you glad for that this morning? You are forgiven. Yeah, give Jesus a hand. Yeah. Let's pray.